Good morning, everyone. Uh, this is unusual times as we are recording today's message just in my office. And as many of you are at home due to the coronavirus quarantine. But we want to give you a message and I want to talk to you this morning about our bright hope in Titus chapter 2. It says this, that we as believers are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul tells us that Jesus is our blessed hope. And so in that light today, I want to talk to you about our bright hope. I'm going to be talking a lot about the theme of light as well as hope as we set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for everything. And I ask, Father, that each person who's at home in this uh, shelter-in-place condition, that they would be blessed, that they would be okay and not full of fear as you've delivered us from fear. And we know, Lord, that your word uh, enables us to experience your love and all the fruit of love. So we pray this morning, or whatever time of day it is when we're listening to this, Lord, we pray that your perfect love would cast out all fear and that we would be whole in you. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me begin by saying that in James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, James, the half-brother of our Lord, said this, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we're going to talk about the gift that the Father gives us, the Father of lights. And that gift is actually, in the future, bodies of light our resurrection bodies. Speaking about the end of the age when Christ removes all causes of sin and all lawbreakers from his kingdom, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, he says this, Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, for many, we look at a scripture like this and think, well, whatever that means, it will be a wonderful existence. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. But read it for what it says. Jesus says in Matthew 13, verse 43, the righteous will shine like the sun. This is similar to a word given by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Daniel 12, verse 2 and 3, where it says, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Bible teaches that God has a radiant celestial glory. In Psalm 104, verse 1 and 2, we read, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. The scriptures teach that God shines brilliantly, as do his angels, and that in Genesis 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, 
he created them. So many believe that beings created in the image and the likeness of God, Adam and Eve, originally were clothed with light. Jewish commentary on the Old Testament held that Adam and Eve were at first covered in garments of light until they rebelled. Now, these Jewish apocryphal writings are not authoritative for Christians. I'm not even sure if they're authoritative for Jewish uh, believers in the world. But they do give us important commentary on the scriptures because Jesus is a Jew. His culture was Jewish. And if you want to go by one culture in the world that comments on the Bible and the scriptures, you want to go by the Jews. You want to look at their Talmud. You want to look at what they believe today. Um, now, when it doesn't go according to the New Testament, of course, we go by the New Testament. That's authoritative. But listen to this. The Jewish apocryphal work called The Life of Adam and Eve, written sometime between the 3rd and 5th century AD, well after the time of Christ, has this excerpt. The serpent who deceived you and stripped you of the garment of light and glory in which you were. Now what this Jewish apocryphal writing is saying is it's looking back on the story of Genesis and it's interpreting it, probably Jewish oral tradition, and it's saying that the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve stripped them of a garment of light and glory in which they were clothed. Now this is typical of the Jewish understanding that Adam and Eve emitted light from their bodies and that they lost the glory of the image of God just as they lost their innocence and fellowship with God in willfully acting upon the deception of Satan and intentionally sin sinning against God. Now, if this is the case, which I believe Scripture alludes to but does not prove beyond the shadow of a doubt, then it also provides an understanding of Adam and Eve's nakedness in the garden. They would have been clothed in light before the fall, and then when that went away, all they were left with was the flesh, these bodies that we have now. In 1923, a Ukrainian biologist, Alexander Gerwich, discovered that living things such as yeast and onions produced an ultra-weak photon emission, according to the Fritz Albert Pop Institute. His findings then confirmed, were confirmed independently by Russian scientists around 1950 when they discovered this extremely faint emission of light from living organisms. The finding was confirmed by five Italian nuclear physicists in 1955 who by chance discovered the bioluminescence of seedlings. They are called biophotons, and all living things emit them, plants and animals, including humans. Today, the fact that DNA emits light is a well-established fact but it's relatively unknown among the general public. It's possible that abundant light, not just a faint light, but abundant light came out of Adam and Eve's very DNA and would have given them bodies of light before the fall. Biophotons may be trace evidence of our paradise lost and possibly could still radiate God's glorious light even in our present fallen state. Think about this. Exodus chapter 34, verse 29. 
When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand when he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. So coverings of light may very well have been in our past. Early Christians believe that coverings of light are absolutely in our future. Now, I gave you a Jewish apocryphal writing. What apocryphal means is it means it's uh, it's outside the Bible. It's also, uh, it, it just means it's outside the Bible, but it's literature that Christians, if it's Christian apocryphal literature that Christians read on the fringes of the Bible, you know, like we read various books today, <laughs> And if it's Jewish apocryphal literature, then it didn't make the Bible, but they were aware of this kind of literature, and, and, and many took it seriously. So here's some Christian apocryphal writing uh, coming up, and then uh, actually first just some, some early church writings. Early church father Arnobius, in his notes, in the notes of his work against heathens, writes what believers have to look forward to. So this is just early church father uh, writing, you know, writing a book. He says in Against Heathens, But let us not reason from things terrestrial as regards things celestial. Our coarse material fabrics are, quote, shadows of the true, unquote. The robes of light are realities and are conformed to spiritual bodies as even here a mist may envelop a tree. As early as the second century, sometime after 135 AD, the extra-biblical document, this Christian apocryphal writing, that we call the Revelation of Peter, which Peter didn't actually write, but they thought so well of the apostles, they wanted to write things in their honor and even say that they wrote them. Well, the Revelation of Peter said in reference to resurrected believers, it says this, these are your righteous brethren whose appearance ye did desire to see. The dwellers in that place were clad with the raiment, the clothing as it were, the raiment of shining angels, and their raiment was like unto their land. So what he's saying is that it's a bright land, therefore they are clothed in bright clothing. It also says this in the Revelation of Peter, this apocryphal writing. The sun at his coming will raise the dead and will make my righteous ones shine seven times more than the sun and will make their crown shine. So those quotes are from the revelation of Peter. Now these are not inspired scriptures, but they are early Christian commentary on the scriptures. It tells us what Christians closer to the time of Jesus thought about the matter of resurrection and their blessed hope. Now, what is very clear from the following event recorded in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9, the Mount of Transfiguration, is this. And after, and I'll read to you from Matthew 17, verse 1 and 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James, and John his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So what's happening here is that the radiant light of glory beamed out from the person of Jesus. His glorious body 
is apparently a body of light. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul says this. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. It therefore seems that there is no difference between the body of light that Adam experienced in his pre-fall state, if we are to trust this Jewish apocryphal commentary. Let me repeat that. It therefore seems that there's no difference between the body of light that Adam experienced in his pre-fall state and the body of light that we will receive at the resurrection. But these bodies of light point us to something more important. Adam could have refrained from sinning and experienced the presence of the Lord forever, which he and Eve were. But if he would have, we would never have known the unimaginable depths that God was willing to go to as he sacrificed himself and suffered in order to purchase back all the sons of Adam and all the daughters of Eve. We often use words like the following to describe the salvation which God has accomplished. Reconcile, redeem, restore, recover, return, renew, revive, regenerate, resurrect, and reclaim. Now, each of these biblical words begins with the re-prefix, R-E, like redeem. It's re and then deem, which means that there's a return to the original condition that was ruined and lost. Man's story, the story of humanity, is loss. But God's story is restoration. Albert Walters, in his book, Creation Regained, writes this. He says, God hangs on to his fallen original creation and salvages it. He refuses to abandon the work of his hands. In fact, he sacrifices his own son to save his original project. Humankind, which has botched its original mandate, and the whole creation along with it, is given another chance in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Know that God is going to hang on to you. He desires to renew you, to reconcile you, to redeem you, to restore you, to reclaim you, to revive you, regenerate you, and ultimately, re- ultimately he will resurrect you with a body of light. That is our bright hope. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15 says that Christ has delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. There's no slavery worse than fear. And fear of death is what we have been set free from through our blessed hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us a bright hope of resurrection in which we will live on and on and on.